And now, another cup of... The London Fog. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, one more time. Go! Welcome! Welcome! <laughs> Sorry, it was like still processing. So I think halfway through it's going to just be come! Right in the middle of it. That's okay. <laughs> um, so we're back. We are. We are. We are. This is the London Fog, guys. London Fog. And we're here to talk about Britishy things. Of course. I'm Kate. And that one's Leah. Yes, I am. <laughs> and... And we took a little extra time this go-around to talk about this topic because I'll... We don't get it. Okay. <laughs> That's pretty much you what it what? comes down to. Who... Wait. Who suggested this to us? Um, what was her name? Okay. I'm going to say it wrong. It looks like Cries, Cries K. So I'm thinking her name might be like Crystal or something of that nature. So let's just call her K. Okay. So K. K well, actually, so Kay sent us some good suggestions. She's fabulous. Kay, yes. we're shouting out to you. Thanks and, so much. And one of them was to talk about the Prime, Prime Minister Palmerston. And so then we saw that, and we're like, oh, that's great. Let's talk about prime ministers. Well, there's so many prime minister to talk about. Yeah, interesting prime ministers. It's an interesting history. Yeah. Um, so we started, so we did that. That's, that's our did. topic today. Turns out we we just don't know how to talk about politics. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. You guys be the judge. We, <laughs> we have done this. But this is our... We're more of the easygoing storytellers. We like a good scandal. We like a good... And, you know, politicians all have them. But something about when you take somebody's, like, great glorious life and you try to find those little hidden nuggets in there... <laughs> Uh, you get a lot of down by their political <laughs> leanings. Well, a lot of the history, like that, you just find online is well, just that it's like the history of like this union act or this bill or this coalition and or and or like this title or term. And to be frank, I didn't want to look up each and every single one of those to understand. Yeah, this is not our day job. We have other <laughs> things to do. With great precision, <laughs> you know, what that exactly means by that title or what they got with that unification. Um, but yes, not our day jobs. And I'm not a historian. I just like to tell stories. So we're going to give you guys... The goods as we found them, but yes. Before we get there, did you have anything that has happened in the world of our royals? In the world of royals, well, nothing's really happening lately. Um, well, okay, that's a lie. I think like Will and Harry have done some stuff. I don't pay attention to them. I pay attention to Kate and Meghan. So Meghan and Harry, oh, they did. They got their own Instagram. Oh, so everybody's happy about that. Um, they released just a few days ago some plans for the birth of baby Sussex. Aww. So basically, what they're saying is they have decided that they're not going to release any news. Okay. So, um, you know, instead of because I, you know, when like whenever Kate gives birth, everybody knows she goes to the Lindo wing and all the news people wait outside yes. and they stand and post for a picture. So Harry and Meghan will not be doing that. They have not announced which hospital they're going to um, or anything like that. But they did say that the media will be informed when she goes into labor and they will be informed when the baby is born. Um, I kind of think, so since they're not releasing a photo, like, like they're not going to do, like, the on-the-steps photo of right. of the media that they that um, Will and Kate always do, I kind of think that they're going to release, like, a first photo on their Instagram, <laughs> which, because Megan oh, used millennials. to be, Megan used to be so into, like, Instagram yeah. and her blog and stuff before she became a royal, so I kind of feel like now, and now when you Maybe. look at their Instagram, I mean, they've only had it for, like, a week, but when you look at it... They seem more involved with their Instagram page than, like, Will and Kate seem involved with theirs, you know? Right. Like, well, when, I think they're also, because they have that youth ambassador, like, kind yeah. of label on them, they're definitely trying to stay a little bit more more hip and with it. Yeah. But I can totally see that. Maybe they so, will. So, I think that, that that's how they're going to release the new photo. That's just my theory um, of the baby's photo, which will be cute. 
Also, I'm just saying, like, let's be real. Babies aren't cute until they're, like, at least a few weeks old. They kind of look a little alien. I would personally wait until the baby's cute before I post a photo. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. We'll see how I feel when I have my baby. Maybe I'll be like, it's adorable, and everyone else will be like, it's hideous, but I'll post a photo anyway. It's true. But, you know. (laughs) Well, I kind of love that you sent out to all of us friends that we needed to, uh guess like the due date and like a name or a gender so i thought that would be kind of an interesting thing when when do you think the baby will be born mm-hmm. gender and and should we do a size should we do a pool should people email us in with their oh, yeah. their email ideas in with your guesses your of, guess- um gender gender or sex i guess yeah. however you phrase it um hair color if they have hair or not okay I think that's all the information we're going to be able to tell from a photo that they released, so that's probably true. All. And I'm sure they're not going to be like, and she was, or he was 19 inches. Yeah, I'm sure that's not, not going to be a thing. So, so let's just do date, date, time, gender, sex, hair color. Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm writing this down. Yeah. So email us at londonfogpodcast at gmail.com with your guesses or you can um also submit your guesses you could send us a message on instagram at the london fog podcast and whoever gets the closest we will send you a little prize a little prize um okay so do you want to take your guess or should we wait until should we say say what we're gonna guess yeah yeah, let's say it because okay. okay. I uh, let's give everybody kind of a decent. When is her due date? She should be due end of May, right? They never. So she. So she's in her third trimester. Theory we know is that. end of April. Okay, that's what based on things that they've said. Okay, that's what we're assuming. Um, they've never actually said like kind of a around. Yeah. Okay, so what are you gonna say? This is my theory. Which is, I have no reason for any of it. I'm going to say April 26th. And the reason that I'm going to say that is because Taylor Swift is also announcing something amazing on April 26th. If you look at her Instagram, I just feel like it would be the best day of my life. Uh, Everything alive. Something amazing came from Taylor Swift and baby Sussex was born. So, April 26th. I think that she is going to go into labor at like... 2 a.m. So the baby's going to, or no, like the baby's going to be born at like 2 a.m. Okay. 2 a.m. 2 a.m. April 26th. Definitely going to be a girl. Okay. And is definitely going to have dark hair. Okay. Um, and then just throwing this out there, I think that, hmm, no, I'm not going to say anything about names because I feel like there's so much speculation if they're going to do a royal name or if they're going to do a trendy name. Yeah, I, I, I we could get too bogged down yeah. with this, but all right. But if they use the names that I'm thinking of for my girl, I'm going to be pissed. I'm going to cut them. Going to make it like so popular, right? It's true. It's true. So yeah. Anyway. Um, I'm going <laughs> to say April thirtieth. Okay. I'm going to say that they're going to have a. 4 p.m. baby. Nobody has a baby during Are the day. Are you writing these down? I, I just did yours. Oh, okay. So okay. I'm doing, yes, as I write, <laughs> April 30th. Because if one of us is the closest, we also get a prize. I get a prize. <laughs> um, I think it's just because everybody right now is having girls that I want to say girl, but you know what? I'm going to go boy. Something about, yeah, I'm going to go boy. You think Harry's going to make a boy, huh? <laughs> I do. Well, I just kind of look at, at Will and Kate, and I mean, they've had good genes. <laughs> like, I think, I mean, there's it's a roll of the dice. I'm going to go boy. Why not? And I'm going to go fair. I'm going to go blonde. Really? Okay. Because I think that they're going to take maybe a bit more of his genes. I, I'm kind well, of basing also, this more off of I him. I think her dad is blonde, so like... Maybe um could get that, yeah. So that's my guess. So yes, please. This would be fun if people kind of wrote in. Yes, and do it. Told us their ideas about the baby. Okay, so there you go. Baby is coming. We're super excited about it. Now to talk about things that we don't know much about. Yes. So 
Prime ministers. Prime ministers. We know nothing, but we will try to teach you the little that we do know. Um, Who goes first today? I don't recall. I don't remember. Mine, I don't think mine has a great ender. It has a decent ending. Um, Mine's kind of an interesting ending. Okay, I can go first. Okay. Okay. I, once again... Mostly I say that just because I talk a lot about his death, but anyway. Okay, like I said, I just kind of, yeah, no. This is going to be cut, dry, sit down with a quick cup. Have yourself some alcohol to get you through this. Right? Just kidding. No joke. Um, I tried really hard, but I kept kind of, I kept trying to find one of these packs, these union, these bills to be like, this could be a really great story. And I kept going, I don't know what's going on. And it just was Brexit all over again. Oh, let's never talk about that again. Never. Okay. So this is William Pitt the Younger. The Younger. The Younger. Not the Elder. Uh, He was born May 28th of 1759. Wow, you went way back. Usually I'm the one who goes way back. I went back a wee bit in time. He, uh... What no makes... wonder you didn't have that much to say about... I don't know, right? Because I feel like... Yeah. Well, the thing that makes him cool is his mom's... His mom's dad, he had been a prime minister. And his dad had been a huge part of his political party, uh, the Whigs. So, mm-hmm. William Pitt, first Earl of Chantham. Uh, so... They kind of just come from this house of he's destined to become a prime minister, pretty much. If he was the first earl, mm-hmm. his dad, I mean. Yeah. Was he made an earl because he was prime minister, like, after the fact? I don't think so. Okay. I think once you're prime minister, he, his title, the only thing I ever found was the right honorable. The, well, that's his. I, I mean, right. his dad. Oh, like, his, his dad, dad did something so amazing as prime minister that he became, he was given an earl. Yeah, I don't know. Well, his dad, I forgot to mention this, his dad also served as prime minister. No, you oh. did mention that. Okay, That's why sorry. I asked about it. <laughs> sorry. Okay. Anyway, sorry. I, off track. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> so, he was the second son of both people hester and william no one cares about them in a loving way um (laughs) as a boy he had pretty poor health i feel like everybody i've talked to i've talked about in the last like four or five cups have all had bad health as children so i've now made it a goal in my next one of these that i'm gonna pick somebody that was healthy (laughs) good idea just saying (laughs) um yes he suffered from poor health the things that I could find was, I think, at from an early age, which I always thought was like an old man's disease, but he had gout. Oh, yeah. But because of diet and they didn't know what to do about it. They How were, early of an age? Uh, Starting around 10, 11. Wow, that is young. That's early. I remember like, my uncle had it for a little while when he was like 40, and we all were like, oh my gosh, you're so young for gout. Right? <laughs> but and that's still like... My dad would get yeah. it, and it would always hurt his, like, big toes. Mm-hmm. Is that, like, a thing? Yeah. I think it's usually in your feet. Um, so, I didn't really get it. Of course, the way that they would always treat it back then, everything that they tr- treated back then. You get sick with a cold, they're all like, let's go to open your arm and bleed you some. That'll mm-hmm. really help, you know? And this, they thought that giving him port would help, but that rich, <laughs> yeah, rich that wine... with gout. <laughs> ended up being, like, his doom. But... We're not there just yet. So he was definitely an intelligent child. He grew up, went to Cambridge to get educated. But once again, he couldn't uh, stay there because of his poor sickness, whatever. He ended up, because he came from... Whatever. (laughs) Because of his family connections and kind of being, I guess, of more noble status. He was able to graduate college without ever having to take any tests. Because they're all like, oh, we believe in your good word. And he was able to leave. So he was there from the age 14 till he was 17. And then at age 17, he was like done. And he just started to jump into a political career. Because obviously that's what his dad did. That's what he knows what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, 
His father died in 1778, and so uh, he left, now I'm just going to call him Pitt the Younger, Pitt a small inheritance, which he then started to get his bar passed through and paid for by uh, 1780. So What do you mean? Like he became a lawyer? Lawyer, yeah. Okay, okay. The bar. Sorry. Um, So at the age of 21... He started to try to engage in politics. He lost a lot. It seemed like a really big bummer. But he was young and sprightly and full of so much hope and actually was a pretty good uh, public speaker. And he first aligned himself very prominently with the Whigs and uh, really close to Charles James Fox, who would end up being his biggest political rival ever. But at the beginning, like any good Oscar-winning film, they started out as friends. Hmm. Is there a good Oscar-winning film about this? <laughs> well, I looked it up, and actually, I've never seen this film. Have you ever seen Amazing Grace that has Benedict Cumberbatch in I've it? I've heard of it. He plays William Pitt the Younger. Hmm. Haven't seen it. Now I feel like I need to. It was like one of the very last things that I read before getting this all figured out. Which I kind of went, that would have been great material to put things from. Something that's made for Americans to understand British politics. So, uh, so they started out as friends, Pitt and Fox. They uh, were definitely trying to understand what to do about the American War of Independence had been going on. And, well, hadn't been going great for the British side, obviously. I don't know how that ends. Right? <laughs> What a bummer for them. Uh, His father, William Pitt the Elder, had strongly said, like, we need to let those colonies go because it's just bleeding our finances. We are getting in so much debt. Nothing is coming of this. Of course, at this time, uh, there was a different prime minister on the seat of power, as I'm going to call it, (laughs) named Lord North. And he decided that, yes... At some point, it would be time to make peace with the rebellious American colonies, but now wasn't this time. Anyway, it took much longer, but at one point, we know how it ends. We win. Yay, America. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So, that happens, but after the war, uh, American Wars of Independence, and we end up having huge financial problems in Britain, and so... They are trying to figure out what to do with their finances. Anyway, Fox thinks that they should do it one way, and Pitt really thinks it should go another way. They believe in a lot of extra what is, taxation. What is he doing right now? Who? Pitt. Pitt. He's trying to literally just wiggle his way into getting a parliament seat. So he doesn't, he's not Mm-mm. even in power, he just has an idea. Not okay. yet. So he's just tried to start associating himself. And he's himself. like 20 or something. Yeah, he's okay. 21. Okay. Um, He's just trying to kind of wiggle his way into getting with the right party, which at the time the powerful party was the Whigs, Mm -hmm. and trying to get everything moving and finding a happy spot in life. (laughs) So, (laughs) moving right along. After Lord North's ministry collapsed in 1720, sorry, 1782, another prime minister is appointed. I really don't care about this guy, so we're kind of skipping over him. I hate him, too. Right? Thank you. (laughs) Nobody cares. Uh, Many Whigs at this point, because of how things had gone with the war and how things were going in Britain, decided that Fox would be a better leader. And so they were trying to now form a new coalition because Fox needed money backing him. So he found himself a lord, Lord Shelburne. Who so he found himself a lord. He did. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> who had the money and who would shell out his ideas and they could kind of create this pact. But dear little William Pitt went, that's some shady shit going on. I don't think that the rich should decide everything for our nation. I know, crazy, right? These <laughs> same ideas. Trump. Uh, so... He decides, like, no, we have to have certain rules and regulations. There can't be so many of these coalitions, and we can't be taking 
uh, bribes to make certain laws go away. Things come into more um, relevance. We can't tax just this population without taxing this population. So that is can't where we can't we? <laughs> that's where their political views split. Pitt now isn't really interested in anything that Fox has to say, but Lord Shelburne kind of likes him and has appointed him cha- chancellor of the Exchequer. There you go, guys. <laughs> I don't know what that I've is. Heard of that. Mm. <laughs> Such a good position. <laughs> Uh, so Pitt then kind of goes along his own little, I don't know, life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's actually doing well in this chancellor position and it's only just been a couple of years, but once again, within a couple of years, things burn out and Lord Shelburne resigns as prime minister in just under three years. So now it's 1783, King George third, who... At this point, I think I did learn this. There is no electing a prime minister. He was ordained by the king. Mm-hmm. Uh, so King George III goes, well, now who's going to be my prime minister? And everybody goes, Fox, 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 because Fox and Shelburne had made this like tight little pact. Um, and he looks at him and goes, but I hate Fox and he sucks as a person. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. So King George is like looking around and he's like, who is, who's here? Who's going to be my friend? And he turns and he finds there's little William Pitt, the younger. And he says, William Pitt, do you want to be my prime minister? And he's all like, boy, howdy, do I want to be your prime minister? So he becomes prime minister in 1783 at the age of 24. Yes, he is the UK's youngest prime minister at this time. You know what's a little bit funny about that? I'm ready. The guy that I picked is the oldest prime minister ever elected. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. So, a little bit of the yeah. new and the old. I don't know. Anyway, I just thought that was a little bit funny. <laughs> so, uh, he starts doing his thing. Pretty much everything else in his political career is, I mean, it is very interesting. I didn't delve credibly into tons of these things but because let's go back to where we were because of the war uh the american war of independence uh britain was bleeding hard on money and so one of his first things to do was to help the country get out of bankruptcy um of course people there was a lot of doubters people thought he couldn't do it because he was only 24 and being elect as a prime minister as Great uh, Great Britain's youngest prime minister, so much that a satire uh, newspaper column had written this about him. I thought it was a little witty poem. He says, above the rest, majestically great. Behold the infant atlas of the state, the matchless miracle of modern days in whom Britannia to the world displays, a sight to make surrounding nations stare, <laughs> a kingdom trusted to a schoolboy's care. So, very witty. Um, and very much everybody didn't like the fact that he was a babe. I mean, that's huge. 24 years old and running a country. I don't know what King George was thinking. I um, mean, he was I mean... A, he was the mad king. But this is a very interesting point. King George III never had any of his bouts of madness when, uh, when William Pitt the Younger was in the seat of prime minister because he comes back so for round two i just don't know if we can really attribute that to william (laughs) i'm not saying like he's saying that he makes made him healthy or anything but he definitely added more stability so pretty much i would say his legacies that he left was getting britain out of debt did he get them completely out of debt no um, the national debt at the time was somewhere <laughs> no. around 243 million pounds to pay for the American war. Yet Pitt found good ways to impose new taxes that actually didn't really hurt anybody. He said it made it easier for 
honest merchants to import goods by lowering tariffs on easily smuggled items, things like tea, wine, spirits, and tobacco. So because of that, he was able to shrink the national debt. And by 1792, the debt had fallen to $170 million, which I mean is wow. huge. Um, and something like no prime minister has ever been able to do in that in that amount of time. I mean, that was less than six years. So, very cool. He also had many foreign affairs that united um, nations together. He had the Triple Alliance with himself. That was, yes, French influence, but with Prussia and Holland. He also had been around, um, once again, during the king's condition or his bouts of madness. And continue to run the nation without the king. Uh, this is also the time, so there's two very big important things that William Pitt the Younger, while he was prime minister, happened. We had the French Revolution. Oh. All of it. So all the Napoleonic Wars, every political action that needed to be taken care of, William Pitt was the political face for Britain at that time. And I think... Seeing that they did pretty well in the end of that, I think that he deserves a little bit of a round of applause. Um, He definitely was uh, a part of creating new laws during this time and uh, especially anything that has to do with Navy law or anything that has to do with Army or war laws, I would call them. Or war laws. Now, there was some great big story, and maybe people would be interested in in knowing about it. I kind of got a bit confused, but I am going to mention it. There was a a point that the British thought that they could go and take over the French colony of uh, of Haiti, of modern day Haiti to help with the slave revolts that they would be able to kind of cut off a lot of their funding there. But lots happened. I'm not even really sure who won, but it did sound very interesting. So there you go, guys. Go check that out. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) The second thing that I think is um, probably the coolest thing is he was part of the unification Act uh, or Acts of Union of 1800 that because the French Revolution had been going on, Ireland decided, crap, we're freaking done with the British. We are, they've always kind of treated, well, at this point had always treated them as second rate and almost as good as slaves Mm -hmm. and went no more. That's when we have quite a bit of the uprisings happening in the 1700s, quite a, quite a bit. And Pretty much William Pitt the Younger goes, this has all got to stop. You have a sovereign. We're going to treat you better. No more rebellions. We're going to unify. So the Acts of Union of 1800 is when Great Britain and Ireland formally were united as one into the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland. And that happened on January 1st of 1801. Um, so the Irish Parliament at that time was closed down and now everything was run through one government Hmm. yeah kind of interesting they definitely had still quite a bit to do with religion because that was still a huge thing there was the catholic emancipation and then there was the promise to protect the church of england and getting everybody to get along mind you (laughs) but uh very interesting they definitely found balance through time obviously but also at a certain point ireland still went we don't want you and that's why we now have northern ireland who is a part of the uk and ireland is its own country at this time but we can cover that at a later date because it had that has nothing to do with William Pitt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he then resigns. He's all like, I'm tired. This has been good fun. Uh, he leaves the house and in 1803. And then in 1803, the king goes mad again. Somebody takes the prime minister chair of 
of happiness and wealth for a hot second, they're not important because obviously that didn't work out and everybody starts to go like, who do we turn back to? Who do we trust? And the king gets better, King George, and he goes, I just want William Pitt back. So he said, will you come back? He said, sure. I'm a single <laughs> bachelor. I have no one else in my life. I've given everything to becoming a politician. I have poor health. I've got the gout. So sitting around with a whole bunch of dudes and wigs and complaining about politic things, that's my life. That's what I want to keep doing. He didn't decide to whittle or ride a horse, you know. It just, well, it might be hard to ride a horse if your gout's really bad. Don't ride a horse with gout. <laughs> you got that piece of knowledge right here on this podcast. <laughs> that might not be true. You probably can. <laughs> you probably found it somewhere else. It was in a magazine. Uh, so William Pitt returns back into office on May 10th of 1804. He does a bit more work. He gets <laughs> some more coalitions with Austria this time, Russia and Sweden. He is uh, there to help because we still have the French Revolution um, going on and the Napoleonic Wars afterward are going on. And he helped to... Um, in a previous episode, I talked about the Battle of Trafalgar and Horatio uh, Nelson. He was the one that ended up giving um, Horatio Nelson all of his awards. And he was there when he was labeled, Nelson was labeled as the savior of Europe. So after that, some other things happened. It was a really great time. But he actually started to have declining health. I mean, he always had crappy health. And so that was only 1804. And in on January 23rd of 1806, so I think he was only in political power again for like a year and a half, a little over a year and a half. That port, the port and the gout got to him and it all his drinking started to add to his chronic illness. He probably had a an ulcer of some sort <laughs> and major stomach issues. He I shouldn't laugh at that. I'm like, oh, an ulcer. <laughs> <laughs> that really sucks. He never married. He has no children. His legacy was to be a part of Britannia and to leave part of his mark on history. Uh, he had, funny enough, though, he paid off the nation's debts a lot because of all of his medical care. He had some debts of his own. And guess who decided to pay those off? Parliament. So, um... Like, after he died? Mm-hmm. 40,000 wow. pounds. Wow. Yeah, I guess... That's kind of when, a lot for a single right? dude. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a bit. I guess when you save your nation, like, 70 million pounds though in six years maybe they can pay your 40 yeah, 40 like, thousand pounds at the end yeah guess we got you um he is buried in westminster abbey and continues to be thought as one of the best prime ministers of all time he had one of the longest serving um i was gonna say a sentence um and then I want to call it a rain. What would you say? A longest serving, serving service. Service. <laughs> longest serving time as a prime minister. And uh, he was succeeded by his first cousin, William Grenville, who decided, didn't like your policies. This is kind of the caveat. He ended up making coalition with Charles James Fox, the guy that... He had started out as friends. They went their separate oh, ways. Yeah. And now the next guy, his own cousin, was all like, William Pitt, I don't like your views. I'm going back to the other guy. Well, you know what I like is that back then it was like, oh, political office. But somehow your cousin can take over. Like, it's always like right. relatives. Or like your son then takes over or something. You're like, hmm, okay. It's true. So he ended up spending something like over... Um, 18 years in service, and uh, it is said that the last little caveat I will say is in the years that preceded when Queen Victoria was about to be, um, gosh, I don't know any of these terms, blessed, ordained, given the crown, <laughs> the kingdom, uh, before she was coordinated, um, 
she was very anxious about that. Everybody else was because she became the youngest ruling monarch at age 18 at that point. And something that was brought up to her was that, or, and to uh, Parliament was if William Pitt could serve our country in a more political face forward stance at the age of 24, we can at least put the image of our nation on the shoulders of an 18 year old woman. And so youth, youth is awesome. (laughs) Youth is awesome. So there you go. That there is William Pitt the younger. I hope maybe you guys found a little bit of that interesting. I, like I said, I really tried to find like some really great story in there. But it's just but a lot just of not po- interesting enough. It's just a lot of politics. It's a lot of port. It's a lot of gout, and it's a lot of bad poems, satire poems. Well, mine doesn't have any poems, so no poems. I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> we'll find out. So, this is actually the suggestion that Kay sent to us. Yay, Kay! What if she's mad that we keep calling her? That I know that's not really her name. It, well, like I say, cries, cries, Chris, 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 Chris. It's Chris, 1000%. Yeah, maybe her real name, or not real Crystal. Name, full, full name is Crystal or Kristen. Kristen. That's great. Anyway, sorry, sorry. Sidetracked. We did, but I like it. Let's call her Chris. Chris, okay. we love you. <laughs> um, so, I am talking about Henry John Temple, the third Viscount Palmerston, also known as Prime Minister Palmerston. Okay. So, he was the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom twice during the reign of Queen Victoria. Oh, So, sweet. from 1855 to 1858, and then again from 1859 to 1865. Um, he was the only son and youngest of three children of Henry Temple, the second Viscount Palmerston, and his second wife, Mary Mee. The daughter of Benjamin Mee, a London merchant. I think that's a Very really cute sweet. last name. M-E-E. Mee. Anyway. <laughs> um, so, basically, the, this is kind of confusing. But basically, so his dad was born into the Protestant ascendancy, which was a minority of landowners, clergy, and members of professions that were all Protestant, who dominated catholic ireland socially politically and economically between the 17th and 20th centuries so i don't really know a lot about uh (laughs) irish politics at that time i don't think i don't know enough about our politics let alone foreign politics we'll we'll invite somebody to explain these things but leah and i are tired of apologizing people we don't know these (laughs) things But basically, the reason that's interesting is because it's like they were like nobility in Ireland. However, Mm -hmm. they chose to settle in London. Um, So his father was a member of the House of Commons. So they had a house in Westminster in London. And and so he was born in London and he never even went to Ireland, I don't think. I think he was like, they like had like their, because that was where they're like, family home technically was was ireland right. and like but yeah but he never, he never went. yeah so yeah so he was never born, seen a haggis never seen the rolling hills of kerry <laughs> he was born october 20th of 1784 and he what he had two older sisters older sisters are not that interesting um <laughs> so one of them was uh francis temple she married an admiral of the fleet um, and they had no children. And then the other was the Honorable Elizabeth Temple, who married the right Honorable Lawrence Sullivan. So that's where I'm wondering, when do you, when are you Honorable and when are you right Honorable? Oh. Do you know this? I don't. No. Anyway, we should no. look that up for later. But they had two sons and three daughters. That's just, it comes into play later. So. I like it. So anyway, so Palmerston, Henry John Temple. I'm just going to call him Palmerston from now on. I like it. Because he was just known mostly as, like... Prime Minister Palmerston, Lord Palmerston. So, he was educated at the Harrow School, um, which is where just a lot of fancy people from back then went. There were two other future prime ministers there who went to school there. George Hamilton Gordon, the fourth Earl of Aberdeen, and Sir Robert Peel, the second baronet. Oh. And 
um, the poet Lord Byron, George Gordon Byron, the sixth Baron Byron, sixth Baron Byron, were all his fellow students. So they were all mm. there at the same time. Um, anyway, he's way more boring than Byron. But so, <laughs> so then after Harrow School, he went from 1800 to 1803. He studied political economy at the University of Edinburgh. While at the University of Edinburgh, his father died, and he became the third Viscount Palmerston at the age of 17. Um, then he went from there to attend St. John's College, Cambridge, from 1803 to 1806. At that time, um, he met Lawrence Sullivan, who later became his private secretary, and he married Sullivan's sister, Elizabeth. All right. So keeping the circles yeah. tight, so like my guy did. Yeah, it just seemed like everybody kind of incestuous. <laughs> so at that point, so now he's like still pretty young. He's like early, early twenties. Um, his father died and left him with a lot of debt. Um, and then he also had a strong Bummer. sense of public duty because uh, his father had been in the House of Commons, you know. Yeah. And so because of that, he decided to seek public office. Um, but it's funny because, like, things I was reading, some said, like, oh, well, he's he sought public office because he'd, like, studied politics and he was just, like, so into, like, helping the public. And then other things I read said that, like, the reason he kept seeking different political offices was because he was so much in debt, he could never afford to be out of office. Yeah. Like, he had to be in office to make money. So, a little hmm. bit of both. There's probably a little bit of both. <laughs> probably. You can, you can do things you enjoy and still do it for the money. Right. I think, I mean, nowadays, I guess people kind of get those positions where they're just in politics forever. But was that something That's what during this time would do too. as well? Yeah. Okay. Just yeah. making sure. So, because he was an Irish peer and not an English peer, yeah. he did not have a seat in the House of Lords. So, he began his political career as a Tory in the House of Commons in 1807. So, that's like shortly, that's when he's like 20 and he. Um, and, you know, he starts then. So he's in politics his whole life. So just as, like, a a little, uh, little history of this. So he was, he defects to the Whigs in 1830, um, and then he, and became a member of the newly formed Liberal Party in 1859. He served in a bunch of different cabinets as Secretary of State for Foreign Affairs. There's, I think he had that position three different times and then he was also home secretary and then he was leader of the opposition so he's just had like a lot going on um so the thing that happened to bring him to prime ministering is prime ministerhood yeah yeah (laughs) so british empire had an alliance with france and the ottoman empire um during the crimean war but there was, like, a lot of weird stuff going on with there. So um, Prime Minister George Hamilton Gordon, who was one of his classmates, if you'll remember, started to lose popularity because of that. And he was forced to resign as Prime Minister. So at that point, Queen Victoria is looking for a new Prime Minister. She, mm-hmm. Nobody was really working out. Palmerston's been in politics for so long. So she reluctantly invites him to Buckingham Palace um, in 1855 to form a new government with him as prime minister. So at the age of 70 years old and 109 days, he became the oldest person to become prime minister for the first time. Wait, what age again? He was 70 years old and 109. 70. Sorry, I heard seven. I was all like, that's not old at all. (laughs) Sorry, 70. 70. Yeah. And so he became the oldest person to become prime minister for the first time. Oh, wow. I think that like Winston Churchill did it again when he was old. And so it was probably older, but it was again. So yeah. So the oldest one for the first time, no one has surpassed that record since then. So after he became prime minister, um, a peace treaty was signed ending the Crimean war. So like, I mean, part of me, part of me thinks like, did he walk into How, good luck yeah, or exactly, did he like right? go in there and like, was all like, this is what's got to go down. My geriatric knowledge. <laughs> right. Like Sorry. I just feel like <laughs> something must have been in play for a peace treaty anyway. Right. But yeah. he got the credit for it. And so the following month, Queen Victoria <laughs> makes him a knight of the order of the garter. 
which is a big deal. Yeah. I don't know. Them garters. Yeah. (laughs) Everyone's seen the portrait of Queen Elizabeth wearing her order for garter. Anyway. So, immediately after the Crimean War, that ends in 1856. In 1857, they have to deal with the Indian Rebellion. So... A lot of stuff is going on. So there, then Italian Republican Felice Orsini tries to assassinate Napoleon III, Emperor of the French, with a bomb that he makes in the United Kingdom. That's called the Orsini Affair. Uh, Does I, not sound good. I know. I think there's like a movie about it. Anyway, the French are outraged. So Palmerston introduces a... Com- this is just a, like a funny thing that he does. He introduced a bill called the Conspiracy to Murder Bill, which makes it a felony to plot in the United Kingdom to murder someone abroad. Like, very specific. Um, I like it. Yeah. So, at first, the conservatives vote for it at the first reading of the bill. But then at the second reading of the bill, they vote against it. Uh, I don't know why this is like this connected to Palmerston being prime minister, but somehow he's forced, then forced to resign as prime minister in 1858. Oh, no. Yes. So I don't know. That's okay. Hold your own. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not really sure what happened to the government oh. from February of 1858 until January of 1859. It did wonderfully. But Didn't crumble. in 1859, he then returns to power as prime minister. So okay. I'm not sure who was prime minister for like eight months. <laughs> Maybe nobody got appointed. Maybe they were like running it. Yeah, I in a different way. Yeah, so he returns to power. This time he's um, in alliance with John Russell, the first Earl of Russell, and this is regarded as the first liberal government. So he then he remains prime minister. So that's eighteen fifty nine. He remains prime minister until his death in eighteen sixty five, when Lord Russell succeeds him. So that's okay. his that's his political career. Love it. Now we're going back into his life. Okay. Because I, it was just too much to try to talk yeah, about no, no. both at once. So, in his life, if you'll remember, we talked about how um, while he was in university in like 1805, he marries his private secretary's sister, Elizabeth, right? Right. So, a couple years later, 1807, he begins a longtime affair with Emily Cowper, the Countess Cowper, who was born the Honorable Elizabeth Lamb, the sister of William Lamb, second Viscount Melbourne, Queen Victoria's first Prime Minister. So, like, Damn. she's, like, pretty yeah. important, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, before this affair that he had, um, Palmerston had been nicknamed Cupid because of all of the affairs he'd been having. He had been having, like, I mean, he'd been barely married for, like, two years, and he'd had so many affairs that people referred to him as Cupid. Keep it in your pants. Like, what the hell? But apparently... And I love how, like, this is almost, like, kind of okay, because it's, like, back in that time, and guys were... Boys could be boys. Even political men could be, you know. This Mm -hmm. was just part of it. Ugh. Gross. But Emily, who he had his affair with... She actually also only got married in, like, 1805. Okay. So, like, they could have just married each other. Anyway. But she (laughs) married Peter Clavering Cowper, the fifth Earl Cowper. He was boring, and so she was like... That is actually true. He (laughs) was known to be very dull. He was not into the social scene at all. So she kind of throws herself into the Regency social team. She's one of the patronesses of the exclusive club Almex. Oh, yes. Which, you don't know that, that? No. Okay. Well, if you've ever read a Regency... You're not a member? You don't get the catalog? Yeah. If you've ever read... I mean, I think they mention it in Jane Austen, too. But if you... Oh, they do. In, yeah. Um, in North... Uh, Northanger Abbey. Uh, Northanger yeah, Abbey. So okay, Al-Nux yes, yes. Almax is, like, a very exclusive club. It's basically where all the young girls... Like, you have to get special tickets to go. The patronesses have to let you in. It's where everyone goes to, like, meet their spouse back in okay. Regency England. So it's a pretty big deal that she's one of the patronesses. So it's like um, getting an Equinox membership now. Everybody's just going. You pay that pricey price. Yeah, but. instead of dancing, you're working out. <laughs> but... Um, but yeah, so she, but she also starts to have several affairs. Um, All right. Well. So she, but then she begins to, begins to be seen frequently with Palmerston, um, and so yeah, they be, they have a very uh, 
long-term affair. Like, okay. this starts in 1807. And so she has five children during her marriage to Lord Cowper. People are pretty sure that Lady Emily, the one she named after herself, is actually Palmerston's child. Oh. Yes. <laughs> so, and so it, Emily's mother dies in 1818, which is 11 years after she started this long-term affair with mm-hmm. Palmerston. And when her mother is on her deathbed, she urges her to remain constant to Palmerston because she thinks that someday in the future they will be free to marry and that she should, like, continue this affair. Which, mama, right? That's a little racy. I know. (laughs) A little saucy for the day. In 1837, 30 years after she begins this affair with Palmerston. Oh, do they finally get married? Do they finally acknowledge their that they're well, lovers? Well, this is what happens. So Queen Victoria has just begun to reign. Her husband dies. So I mean, he was a bore. Yeah, he was boring. He was old. Whatever. He's dead. He's gone so, now. So Emily and Palmerston really want to get married. Um, but they're both in their fifties already. Like they, this has been an affair yeah. that started in their twenties. Um, is he married? But, no. Okay. His wife has also died. Okay. Um, her family is concerned because, like, her mom already died. So, like, yeah. her her brother, who was, like, up in politics right. or whatever, are concerned because they're like, oh, he has a reputation as a womanizer. And it's like, yeah, he was okay. He's doing been it with, with me. me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but because, like, he's up high up in the government and she is, like, a peer's right. daughter... Um, they have to consult with Queen Victoria, so they can consult with Queen Victoria, which is, like, so funny. They're in their freaking 50s. Right. Um, and Queen Victoria gives their, her approval. So they're married. But this took, like, two years, right? Mm -hmm. So they're married in December of 1839, which is 32 years after their affair began. Um, they're finally married. (laughs) So their marriage was actually a very happy marriage. They had a townhouse in London on Piccadilly. They lived in Mayfair. Oh, so pretty. Um, They had a country estate in Hampshire, Hampshire, at Brockett Hall in Mm. Herefordshire. So they had Mm -hmm. a few different country estates um, because she had had inherited some stuff from her brother when he passed and stuff. Um, And... After they after they married, you know they were very active, like hostesses, in, in, like so on the social scene, and um, and Palmerston was still like politically active, yeah. Because like you know he he's this even though this is like so well he he's got twenty years before he yeah, even goes exactly, there the first time exactly. So. so it's like so he would actually encourage her to like host things and like float his ideas among the guests, like his political ideas, and then report back to him, like, what their impressions are. So he kind of knows. Like before. a freaking, like, like, what was her name? Wallace. Wallace. Yeah. And they would host all those parties, and he'd be like, how would people feel if I didn't, if I wasn't king? And mm-hmm. she'd be like, do, 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 little circles. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so Palmerston remained healthy and active in his old age, obviously, because he became, I mean, I think when he died, he was like, 80 something almost 90 yeah and he was wasn't prime minister until 70 like we said um so he apparently his last his last words the doctor told him he was gonna die and he said die my dear doctor that is the last thing i shall do (laughs) (laughs) oh Um, well that's just really poetic and <laughs> right. I don't know I just I'm not that. gonna die um, he's so all he, like well I beg to differ the gout's got the best of you <laughs> so he dies at Brockett Hall no he didn't have gout I know. I had gout <laughs> I'm just he figuring, was healthy and active I'm figuring they all had gout <laughs> no he was healthy and active so he dies at Brockett Hall one of their country estates um Queen Victoria wrote in her journal after his death that though she regretted his passing, she had never liked or respected him. <laughs> she said, Strange and solemn to think of that strong, determined man with so much worldly ambition gone. He had often worried and distressed us. Like, is she talking about herself in, like, the plural? I don't know. And I don't know. said, though, as prime minister, he behaved very well. <laughs> maybe it's the country. Maybe maybe her, yeah. like, family views. I don't know. Yeah, so it sounds like they didn't get along, but she respected him as prime minister. Yeah. So he wanted to be buried at Romsey Abbey, one of his homes in the country. 
but the cabinet insisted that he had to have a state funeral and be buried at Westminster Abbey. Oh. So that's what happened, which I'm like, really? If you don't want to be buried in Westminster Abbey, why force it? Right. Um, so he is buried in Westminster Abbey in the North Transept. Um, at the time, he was only the fourth non-royal person to be granted a state funeral. The others were mm. Sir Isaac Newton, Lord Nelson, and the Duke of Wellington. So, like, that Ooh. just kind of shows you how important he was yeah. like, politically. Um, which is funny, because I've obviously heard of all of them, but yeah. not, had, hadn't heard of him before. Um, so, four years later, Emily dies... And they allow her to be buried with her husband at Westminster Abbey. So if you go to Westminster Abbey, their grave is marked with a red granite marker on the floor. And there's a statue nearby of Lord Palmerston dressed in his robes of the Order of the Garter. Okay. Um, so he, they, he left no heirs because he didn't have any children with his first wife. And by the time they got married, she was quite old. So no children. Um, so his... Uh, title of Viscount Palmerston became extinct. Mm-hmm. Um, her her second son from her first marriage inherited um, pretty much all of his estates, and so he took on his surname of, okay. of Temple. Because, like, her first son took everything from, like, her first husband's estates. So yeah. the second son decided to change his last name to be, like, Palmerston's... Okay. Um, um, so in 1880, he was created the Baron Mount Temple, which is one of the subsidiary titles of the Viscount Palmerston title. Um, Shorter to say. Yeah, which was like <laughs> a way to kind of keep it in the family, but then he also died childless. So then what it, <laughs> it was, it became extinct again. Um, however, later on... His great nephew in 1932, a great nephew. Um, actually, this is funny. It was created again for his great nephew in 1932 because, like, he did something great. Yeah. They were like, "We'll give you this title that used to be your uncle's." But then he also has no children, and the title becomes extinct again. Oh, um, but. It all comes down to all of their land and everything that they own is eventually um, inherited by that by the great nephew's daughter, because he didn't have a son, so that's why the title became extinct. Okay. But the daughter inherits everything, and the daughter married Lord Lewis Mountbatten, um, the first Earl Mountbatten, and inherited everything. And I think, which I couldn't figure out how, she is somehow related to uh, Prince Philip, because Philip is Mountbatten, right? They're the Mountbatten yeah. Windsors. So, um... Yeah, so anyway, I don't know. They're, they're I'm somehow, sitting here trying to think. They're somehow related. So somehow all of everything Palmerston has yeah. is somehow related now to the Mountbatten's. But Interesting. Yeah, that was a that was a confusing little thing. But that was I, good. Just think I, just, I just think it's kind of funny to like see the history of the title, how it's like, oh, and then it becomes extinct, but this relative of yours does something good, so we'll give it to them again. And then it becomes yeah. extinct. Yeah. And then we'll do that. Like, I don't know, it's just funny. But yeah, so that is Prime Minister Viscount Palmerston, Henry John Temple. I like it. What yeah. a title. What a name, really. I know. I mean, at least my guy was just William Pitt the Younger. I already thought that was extra, but he didn't have a billion titles. He just had it's his... It's better day. to have a billion titles. If I was going to be British peerage, I would have a billion titles. I would not want a really long way to fill out my checks or... Start giving myself my nickname, last name, York or something. Well, I mean, I feel like <laughs> you don't have to, to, like, fill out everything with your full it's title. But it's more fun that way. <laughs> Who, I feel like there was some, there was, like, some book I read that was kind of funny. There was, like, a prince in the book, and he had a really, really long title. And he was showing off that, like, the full thing was on his credit card. And they had to have, like, two lines for his name on the credit card because it was, oh, like, so sure. long. Yeah. That would be awesome. Like, the jerseys that it's, like, down on people's shoulders and it's, like, all the way around. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Anyway, so that's what we've got for you today. We made it through, and actually, I'm very impressed by us. I think this could have gone a lot, lot worse. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You have so much faith in us. I know. I was a little anxious, but we made it. 
But yeah, guys, make sure to email us or send us a uh, Instagram message or maybe we will get a our next posting will have to do something about the baby and you can maybe leave it down in the links yes, or a private message. Uh, email us. Of course, we are always taking your ideas. Thank you so much, Chris or Kay or whatever you want us to call you <laughs> uh, for giving us these great ideas. We really appreciate it. Yep. And we will talk to you guys maybe next week, maybe the week after. <laughs> we decide quality over quantity. Yes. There it is. All right, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.